0: are you guys doing? Uh, Where are you in life? Where are you in life? Well, there's an interesting question, because what's the right answer? Uh, Let let, let me ask you a, a different question. Wherever you are in life, are you there out of obedience? Like, are you where you are because the Lord led you to be here? that's pretty subjective, but what do you think? Yes? I have no idea. Anyone? You're at church today, so that's good. Uh, That was out of obedience. If you are where you are, out of obedience to the Lord, uh, then you you should be filled with faith. Uh, It should be uh, inspiring to you uh, that you have a life uh, shape uh, in in, in obedience. Have you ever done anything weird or daring or sacrificial uh, just because you felt the Lord led you to do it? Anything like that? How did you feel when you did that in that moment? Embarrassed. (laughs) Really weird things for the Lord. Awesome. Has anybody found that when you made a sacrifice of faith, a sacrifice of obedience, that you actually felt more faith as a result because you did it? I see some nodding heads. Um, I I think that's often the case. I think that when we do something just out of obedience, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I could go left or right here. Uh, But the Lord says, go straight. I will do that just because I think that's what the Lord says. Uh, When you do that, there is very often a surge of faith in that moment because, of course, you've exercised faith in in being immediate. You might think that um, faith, having faith, having trust in the Lord leads to obedience. Actually, I think the opposite can be true as well. That when you move in obedience, it releases a lot of faith in you. And so, you know, obedience, by releasing a mindset of faith, makes you a lot stronger. As we've been studying in this sermon series how faith um, is... Uh, Is an empowerer uh, of all good things jesus says well you know if you have faith you can move mountains if you have faith you can command uh mulberry trees uh to move and and they will listen to you Um, nine times in the gospels when jesus does a healing miracle he says ah Congratulations, your faith has healed you. It was actually your faith that enabled us to do that powerful supernatural interaction. And we've been studying how the primary battle in life, the first battle of every battle we have, is a battle for the mind. It's a mindset. Are you going to have a mindset of faith? Or are you going to have a mindset of fear, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, like everything else, right? But the battle for a mindset of faith is actually the first battle of every battle you will ever fight. Uh, and, and obedience and sort of helping you release uh, that mindset can be a tremendous empowerer in the midst of, of, your, of your battles. When you think, when you always think, God and I could do something tremendous with this, whatever this is, when you're constantly in that frame of mind, you are set in faith. That is the mindset of faith that we're talking about, and and that's the goal. That's the mindset that enables God to do whatever uh, he needs to do uh, in your life. Jesus talks about faith constantly in the gospel in bunches of different ways, and in addition to that, there are all these stories that are really just kind of meditations on faith, what leads to it, what defeats it, and what, what you can do to kind of help yourself get anchored in a mindset of faith. And all of that is very fundamental wisdom uh, for those of us who wish to follow Jesus in the kingdom lifestyle. So we've been doing this, uh, this sermon series on the battle for the mind, sort of faith versus fear. It's kind of poppy today, isn't it? Sorry. Also, half of our speakers died this morning, so... Those of you in the back, can you hear me okay? All right. I will expect fewer than normal of you to fall asleep during the sermon then. We've been doing this sermon series on mindset of faith versus fear. Um, And, uh, you know, the first sermon, we just talked about the battle of the mind, how Jesus frames it, how important it is to choose a mindset of faith instead of a mindset of fear. And then we listed some of those fundamental fears that a lot of us share, things that come against us to defeat faith uh, in the moment, like fear of what people think, that's a huge one, right? Fear of not having enough, that's one that haunts a lot of uh, people's lives consistently. Fear of failure, uh, well that's a huge one, uh, a specter that defeats uh, a lot of, of, uh, of faith uh, movements in our life. Um, And then we made a switch, we started talking about, well, frames of mind that can really help empower your mindset of faith. We talked about uh, the mindset of the servant, and last week we talked about a mindset of grace, and today we're going to talk about an obedience mindset. It's just a mindset that says, I will obey, I will obey the Lord. And if you can get in that mindset, it actually helps release faith in your life obedience will guard and strengthen uh, your mindset. By contrast, disobedience will corrupt and weaken your mindset. If you're living in disobedience, your ability to be anchored in faith is is drastically compromised, and that's one of the big costs of disobedience. People think that, well, if I disobey the Lord, the cost is the Lord gets really mad at me. Well, I don't know, he might because he cares about you and he doesn't want you doing stupid things. But uh, maybe the most primary cost is that if you disobey what the Lord tells you to do, if you live a life of disobedience, if you live a life of sinfulness, it will almost immediately compromise your faith. Right? You'll, you'll disqualify yourself um, or you'll give in to fears. Um, so that's a cost. The fight for obedience is often a, a fight for faith. So if you want to be strong in life, seek ways to obey the Lord think, I will obey and be powerful. Don't just think, I will obey and get the Lord off my back. Don't do that. That gets old. I will obey and be powerful and be more powerful through obedience. Everybody got it so far? Give somebody a high five because it's a little humid in here and I feel like you're a little bit, a little bit numb. All right. I think the kingdom life is pretty simple, uh, really, when it comes right down to it. Uh, You wanna repent, you wanna believe the good news, which is to say you wanna believe that God is here and for you and eager and generous. Uh, You wanna follow Jesus, uh, which means you wanna do what Jesus said to do and you wanna do, basically, what Jesus did. You wanna do what God tells you to do in scripture And in word, if he should speak to you in real time in the here and now, you wanna follow through on the instructions that he gives you until such a time that you understand the principles and the values behind God's instructions. So now you're just kind of obeying the heart of God, whether he gives you specific instructions or not. You know what is godly and you know what is ungodly and you habitually do what is godly. Um, as Jesus did, and I don't, that's the kingdom of life on earth. You want to follow, and you want to follow through. A discipleship is follow through, as we always say. Um, obedience, obviously, plays a big part in that. An exercise of obedience to the commands of Scripture or the commands of the Lord um, is, is uh, an exercise of your mindset, and that's a very good thing. You guys, almost all of you came to church this morning. Almost all of you, you can, you can check and see. Uh, some of you are thinking, oh, where am I? No, you're in church. Um, and uh, many of you begin your Sabbath day that way. For many of you, this will be a day of rest set aside to the Lord. Uh, and the Sabbath is one of the big ten commands that God gave us at the beginning. You know, Take a day, set it aside, celebrate the Lord on that day, and then chill out, rest, be at peace. And you are here in some part because you are obedient to the Sabbath command. Everybody reach behind you and give yourself a pat on the back. Some of you didn't do it. So, those of you sitting behind someone, just pat them on the back. So, you have followed through on a, on a Sabbath command. Uh, and, and what that does is it uh, anchors your mindset against anxiety against fear that's what obedience to the sabbath command does you you now are uh, less fearful than you would have been if you didn't come generally speaking you think that's true congratulations so you know there's your obedience to the sabbath command exercises against fear in that uh fashion Uh, we took an offering earlier some of you put something in the bucket some of you didn't some of you uh, make donations uh, to the church and what we do online. All of that kind of comes from uh, an Old Testament command on tithing or set aside first fruits or, or developing a practice of giving generously uh, to God, to the temple, and to the things of God to make that like your primary, uh, your initial uh, monthly expense. Well, that's a routine exercise against the fear of not having enough, isn't it? And the more you obey that sort of command, uh, you are anchoring your mindset against the fear of having too little, uh, the fear of money, which is probably the uh, the dominant fear on earth. So congratulations, do you think that's true? The more you give, uh, the freer you feel. How many of you have actually found that to be true? Because it's actually counterintuitive, right? The more you give, the less you have, am I right? I I wasn't great at math, but right? If you give away something, you have less of that thing. Am I right? But how many of you have experienced like the more you give, the freer you feel about what you have? Seems seems like you actually have more, right? Because you are exercising a mindset of faith there. And of course, faith makes you powerful. The Lord is a provider. He will always provide for you. Don't sweat it. We talked about that uh, in a sermon. Uh, today, we exercise worship in different ways, not just with our sacrifices, but with singing, some of us with posture, one or two of us through dancing. There was all sorts of worship, just sort of a bowing down before the Lord, literally or, or metaphorically. Well, that's, that's a routine exercise, I think, against the, against the fear of, of man against the fear of what people might think. You might not consider it that way, but when we come to church you know, and we worship and we say, you are superior, I am inferior. Well, that's a sort of confession that says, I don't care if I look inferior, right? There is a, there's a higher being. And I will manifest that with my posture sometimes. I will do something that makes me look just a little, um, a little odd. You know, I will sing out praises uh, I will confess my weakness before someone who is stronger. Well, that's exercising something primary, that's exercising humility, which is probably the core, uh, the core virtue of worship, you understand? And that makes you stronger, and makes your mindset stronger against the fear of what people think of you. Um, you know, maybe some of you are still trying to bust through that barrier uh, when you come to church on your exercise of worship in life, but that's what it does. You think that's true? Right? The obedience to command to worship and praise makes you stronger in that way. Of course, there are all sorts of ways in which we're struggling to be obedient against various temptations of the flesh. You know, I have this thing in my life, this false comfort that I go to, I am trying to resist that. And to the degree that you do, you move in faith more that day than you would otherwise. And if you give into it, one of the things that happen is that it corrupts your faith. You cannot think as positively as you would otherwise. And all sorts of individual battles we have uh, with things like that. All right, all that is kind of backdrop to our scripture of the day. I want to read what I think is probably a fairly familiar story. It's one of those Sunday school stories uh, from Matthew chapter 14. Uh, it's in your program, Matthew 14:22 through 33. It's also going to be up here on the big board, or you could follow along on your smartphone Bibles, uh, whatever it is that, that you have to do. Um, So Jesus, as you may know in the Gospels, what he does is he puts together a team. Uh, He has some people who are following him, and among those followers, he sort of designates a certain number of guys. There are mm, roughly 12, I hear, uh, who who are sort of his protégés. They are his disciples, his apostles, the ones that he has chosen to be on his ministry team specifically. And he says, guys, follow me. I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I'm gonna make you my ministry apprentices. And then they wander around together, Jesus and his 12 disciples, and they do a bunch of ministry in a bunch of places all over Israel and uh, close by environs. Um, and, And the disciples, what they do is they do what Jesus did. Jesus might give a little teaching and then they heal people. Sometimes Jesus healed the people. Sometimes it's the disciples heal the people. We see them healing people. We see them trying to cast demons out of people as well. So basically the disciples were following Jesus and doing what Jesus told them to do. Very basic. So we could say they were moving in sort of an obedience. Uh, and that is a, a good thing. Uh, it must have been cool walking alongside Jesus doing the things that he did because Jesus did some fairly interesting things. Like I say, healing people, casting demons out of people, uh, the occasional miracle with uh, you know, weather and stuff like that. And the disciples got to participate in all of that because they were following him and following his instructions. Um, in this story, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus and his uh, roving gang had just experienced the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that story? So Jesus and his guys are out in the middle of nowhere, some wilderness place, and this huge crowd of people were following him because they had been performing so many miracles and saying so many cool things, and Jesus stops them uh, one, one afternoon and, and says, oh, these people are hungry, give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, yeah, we don't have anything to eat. But here's a kid with a lunch. He's got five loaves and two fish. So they steal the kid's lunch, which is very Christian. I just probably more voluntary than that. Jesus gives thanks for the lunch, and then he doles it out in pieces to the disciples. And then the disciples pass out their pieces to a crowd that contained 5,000 men and probably their families as well, thousands of people. And as they are passing it out, a miracle happens. The food multiplies, and they end up feeding thousands and thousands of people with this little kid's lunch, this tiny little lunch. And so that's a miracle. Uh, If you know that story, the way it worked is... Jesus started giving his disciples specific instructions. He gave thanks for the meal, and then he said, have the people sit down in, in groups of 50. You know, so he organized them, and then he said, all right, now go and, 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 and pass out the, uh, the lunch to, to your groups, to the groups that I've assigned you. So it was very, you know, the story is remarkable in that Jesus gave step-by-step instructions how to go about doing it, and by following Jesus' instructions, the disciples experienced the miracle, and then at the end, he said, okay, gather up the leftovers, and then they went around and gathered up the leftovers, and they gathered up 12 basketful, uh, basketfuls of scraps, and no point in that story does Jesus say to them, all right, guys, we're going to do a miracle, and this is how they're going to do it. Instead, he just gave them orders that were ridiculous, Right? And there's even some arguing uh, between Jesus and the disciples. Like, Jesus, yeah, we don't have anything. Uh, this isn't enough. What are you doing? And Jesus said, just do what I say. And because they did what Jesus said, gradually they realized something amazing is happening here. We are feeding thousands of people with a couple sandwiches. This is awesome. It's just a a very stark example of how obedience begets awesomeness. And the reason uh, I set up that background is because I think the disciples were perhaps thinking about that. It's like, wow, we just did one of the most awesome things ever done on planet Earth by following Jesus' instructions. In particular, I think a fellow named Peter was thinking about that. And you'll see why as we read this story. So this is immediately after that feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night... <clears throat> he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. In other versions of the story, it tells you that they're like four or five miles out rowing, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So they were having a really difficult time uh, rowing across this lake. It was a lake that was very famous for its tempestuous weather. Storms would come up of a sudden, so these guys hit one of these storms, and they're rowing across the lake, and they're utterly exhausted, and the accounts make clear that they had been on the road working hard for a long time, so they're like really, really exhausted. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, all right, so that's cool. Jesus is walking on water here. Another thing to recognize is that they have been rowing hard against the storm from basically sundown till dawn the next day. So you just imagine what they have gone through in the course of night. And Jesus is just strolling across the water, uh, walks out to them. It was, it was a walk of some miles, so it was a considerable hike. It's just a, just a, Just an awesome tableau, this story. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Well, that's one reaction you could have. I don't know what your reaction would be, but sure, yeah, you know, they just start grabbing at whatever crazy explanation they can find in their heads is like you know there's a ghost rising out of one of the shipwrecks from the lake you know they just kind of go there in their heads and they cry out in fear and you know they're also probably on their last nerve of patience and you know you ever been there where you're just like so beaten up and so freaked out that you start acting crazy well that's exactly where they are But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So command number one. Hey, don't be afraid. Stop freaking out. It's me, Jesus said. Which, you know, is a very reasonable thing to say, except that, you know, he's like standing on a lake. So I feel like you guys really aren't appreciating the scene. (laughs) It's weird, man. It's like totally weird. Totally weird. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Which is not the response I would have expected. So just think about that for a second. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. This is a part we all know. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He got distracted. He got afraid again. And when he got afraid, he began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You got anxiety in this story, it's produced in a number of ways. First, you know, total exhaustion produces anxiety. Second, the storm comes up, that produces a lot of anxiety. And then this dude is out walking on water and they don't know what they're seeing and that produces a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. So the disciples are officially freaked out in this story. Um, and in the middle of that freak out, Peter does this really weird thing. I mean, just they're in the boat, they're being tossed around. Jesus is there on the water and say, hey, don't worry, it's me. Stop freaking out. And Peter's response is to say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to, to walk out on the water to you. Why does he do that? Have you ever thought about that when you read this story? I mean, it's really cool that he does. But, you know, why, why would he do that? And I have a couple theories about this, having meditated on the story for decades uh, at this point. And the first thing is, I think Peter's just sick of being afraid. I think he's just tired of being tired. You know, he's just, he's just had it, you know? It's like, man, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm out here thinking I'm gonna die thinking that things are going wrong all the time. Have you ever been there in life? It's like, all I do is worry that things are going wrong. Anyone? Three honest people. Yes, four. Um, And and, and he's just sick of that, right? And in the middle of this pandemonium, he sees Jesus just sort of, you know, surfing the waves and, and having a great time. Uh, and, and being chill, and saying, guys, don't worry, don't worry. And he wants to do what he has been doing for months and months at this point. He wants to do what Jesus does. But more than that, he wants to be how Jesus is. Like, I want to be chill out, dude. I want, I want to be at peace. I, I, want, I want to be unafraid. I want to be still in the midst of the storm. I want that. I don't want this mess. I want to be an overcomer. I don't know exactly how he thought about it, but something like that was going through his head. And so that's probably the first reaction that Peter had. And then he's like, but, but you know, technically I can't walk on water. In fact, I didn't know anybody could until a few seconds ago. You know, so if, if the requirement to, to feeling awesome is to do the impossible, how do I, how do, I do that exactly? And, and then, and he just, he figures it out. He figures it out in a way that, you know, only Peter could figure these things out. I mean, Peter was like the Babe Ruth of the disciples, right? He either hit a home run or he struck out. That was it. And he had a lot of strikeouts, but this is a home run. He figures something out. And maybe, this is my theory, he remembers like the feeding of the 5,000. It's like, all I did in that story was I just followed Jesus' instructions and an amazing thing happened. I wish I could do the same right here. And so what he does is he begs for instructions. He asks for an opportunity to obey. Peter has figured out that obedience leads to faith. It's not just faith leads to obedience, right? He says, I I don't have the faith to do that, uh, but I can do what I'm told. And that will lead to the faith to do that. Are you following the logic? And Peter somehow figures out this tremendous kingdom principle. He figures out the whole reason that there is a law to begin with. The whole reason that God ever gave us commands is because if we followed them, we would be healthy and learn to trust. And if we trusted God, we could overcome anything, including death. Right? Peter figures it out there in the boat on the stormy sea. And he says, Tell me to do that. Lord, if that's you. God, if you're really here, tell me to do something. I will do it. And life will work out. Just so basic, so awesomely basic. He asks for a command. I, I don't know, I don't know what you do in the most anxious, darkest moments of your life, but what Peter did is he asked for a command tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And, and Jesus, I don't know, I imagine him with a little wry grin on his face in that moment. I have no idea. Plus, he probably had a beard. You couldn't see the grin. I'm not really sure. But I imagine him kind of like, you know, says, yeah, come on out. Come on out. Maybe he was surprised in I was like, Pete, dude, you are nailing this today. So Jesus says, uh, come on, and, and Peter, you know, he didn't have the faith to do the miracle. He was in the midst of a freak out, but he was an obedient, an obedient guy, an obedient partner, whatever, and so Peter obeys, and, and uh, it led to him walking on water. Um, he gave it uh, a great try. And then, of course, he gets distracted by the fearsome circumstances again. He sees the wind, the account says, and he gives in to fear. He goes from mindset of faith to mindset of fear. When he looks at the problem, mindset of fear. When he, when he just focused on obedience, mindset of faith. Do you see the contrast? It's the difference between walking on water and sinking. I know of no story that just makes it so immediately stark. The way that this story does. Uh, It's awesome. It's a classic mindset of faith versus mindset of fear moment. And Peter, being Peter, you know, he kinda goes back and forth. But I, you know, Jesus uh, saves them, they get back in the boat, the waves calm down, they worship Jesus. I often wonder, did the other guys rib him afterwards? Like, dude, you totally sank. And he said, yes, but I totally walked on water. You know, and what was that conversation like? Was he a hero to them, or was he a fool in their eyes? You failed. And I imagine Peter said, ah, but I tried. Um, That's another sermon. Anyway, Lord, if you're there, Lord, if that's you, Lord, if you're with me, tell me to do something, and I will do it. Faith. Faith. And where faith happens, anything happens. So what I want to recommend to you uh, today in closing is that you learn how to cultivate obedience in your life, because if you cultivate obedience, you will release faith. Cultivate obedience. So how do you do that? Uh, Basic lesson number one, do what the Bible says and don't do what the Bible says not to do. Go ahead and write that down. I know you've never heard it before, but I think that's a good one. Do what the Bible says, and don't do what the Bible says not to do. If uh, you have any uncertainty about what the Bible says to do and not do, read the Bible. <laughs> you need me to repeat this? Anyone? Is, we got this? Go ahead and write that down, because I, I, I think this would save us a lot of grief and, and empower us for a lot of awesomeness. So go ahead and go ahead and, and write that down. Take a note dictate in your, whatever, whatever it takes, just do that for a second. Do what the Bible says to do. Uh, don't do what the Bible says not to do. If you have some doubt about what it says, go ahead and read it. And uh, that's going to work out really well for you. We have these things called Ohana groups every week, you know, uh, the groups will discuss a little Bible passage. They'll take you through some important passages in Scripture. That's a good way to learn. I'm just saying you might try it. It could improve your life. It might make you less uh, wishy-washy, less up and down, as Peter displays in this story. <clears throat> so, uh, so that's one. Read the Bible. Uh, Number two, like confess when you make a mistake. You know, uh, one of the things the Bible commands us to do is to confess when we don't do what the Bible commands us to do. Did you follow that? Uh, If you screw up, you know, confess your sins to one another. Uh, James says in chapter five of his uh, epistles, one of you sick, let him call the elders of the church. They'll anoint you with oil. Uh, They will pray you'll be healed and your sins will be forgiven as well. You know, it's all a packaged deal. Um, confess what you do wrong, and um, that in itself is a right. Um, when you confess what you do wrong to a brother or a sister, it reestablishes lines of authority in you. It's like, yeah, I, I screwed up. I, I sinned against God. Well, that's a way of recognizing the authority of God, right? Which is kind of what obedience is. anyway, Uh, You guys been to the Holy Spirit Retreat? We do a Holy Spirit Retreat uh, two or three times a year around Blue Water. And before we pray for people to be filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we always do a circle of filth in which we very uh, simply confess sins one to another. And and I confess an embarrassing sin and then everyone in the circle says, you're forgiven in Jesus' name. And then we move on to the next person. It's very, very simple. How many of you have found that to be a very powerful part of the Holy Spirit Retreat? Yeah, how many of you do it regularly in your lives? Yeah, fewer people. But, but we should learn the lesson. Have, have somebody that you confess things to. Again, we have these things called Ohana group. You can go there. You can get to know people. A few of them you will actually trust. And then every so often, once a month or so, confess to a brother or sister how you have dropped the ball, uh, what you have done wrong, how you have failed to follow through on something you felt the Lord wanted you to do. Or... How you did something that you know full well the Lord didn't want you to do. Uh, And that's really helpful. That will increase obedience in your life and bless your faith. I promise you it will. I promise you it will. I don't make many promises, but I'll promise you that. So, confession, super, super helpful. And then seek the Lord for specific directions and follow through. if, if you need advice from God today, ask him for it. He will speak to you directly uh, in your heart or he will give you a prophetic dream or someone in blue water will walk up to you and say, hey, I feel the Lord has said this to me for you. It happens. I say that the, the commands of Scripture are the foundation of my life, but the shape of my life has been determined by prophetic revelation. A lot of the specifics of what I'm doing, I'm doing because I felt God tell me in the here and now to do those things. Uh, Although just knowledge of scriptural commands is the bedrock of everything that, that I'm about. There may be some prophetic ministry in just a minute, but that's why we do it. We let the Lord speak because every time the Lord speaks, there's an opportunity to obey. And every time there's an opportunity to obey, there's an opportunity for faith to increase. And every time faith increases, there's an opportunity for a breakthrough or a miracle. (gasps) And so we work the practice. And if you do those things, if you follow the commands of the Lord, if you work obedience into your life in the ways that I'm suggesting, then you'll be able to say, well, wherever I am today, I'm here out of obedience. And if you feel that wherever you are, you're there because of obedience, you'll have a significant amount of faith flowing in your life, which means you'll be powerful against all the fears that could derail your life. And that's kind of what we're after in the battle for the mind. Let's pray. This is kind of 101 stuff, Lord. This is kind of Sunday school stuff. Do what God says, it will make you powerful. Do what God says it will set your mind in faith. If you're tired of being anxious, uh, if you're tired of being weak in the mind, um, just focus on being obedient. Focus on doing the simple things that you know to do. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would work that into our hearts, into our uh, consciousness. I pray, Holy Spirit, even now in this moment that you would articulate things that we need to do or in a spirit of grace point to the things we need to not do. Speak, Lord. We're listening.